0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you survived the great winter storm of 2021, which turned out to be not so bad, which is not all that surprising. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, the title of the message is The Light is On, but uh, if the light flickers off... Uh, we have had some connection issues, and I'm wondering if that's why uh, out in the wide world out there. Um, so for those of you that are watching online, hopefully we'll remain with you and the power will stay on. We've got a sunny day outside, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the power will stay on around here, because somebody might fall out of the tree that's holding up the antenna. You know how that goes. All right, so um, if you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read to you from uh, verses 25 to 35, 25 to 35, I'll ask if you're able to stand for the reading of God's holy word, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, this is now after... The birth of Jesus. Um, it's the time when he, he has been, uh, he's been circumcised and, uh, that's, and now there's some other time that has gone by where there's time for the purification according to the law of Moses. So they bring him up as the eldest son to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. Um, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every male, this is a little preview in verse 23, as it is written, the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and then to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So they're going through these, um, what was required in the law of Moses at the birth of the firstborn son. So now with that as our setting, let's read this passage beginning at verse 25. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please do be seated. Well, the Christmas season is marked by light is it not light in the windows light on the streets lights on trees lights everywhere the funny thing is though those lights are often used to mask rather than to reveal it's kind of interesting and it's it's great to go look at lights at nighttime it's lots of fun people like to do that but did you ever how many people go drive around and let's go look at houses during the daytime. Anybody do that? Anybody love to see all those wires? You know, all the other stuff that's there. We just want to see the light. We have this beauty, but we don't want to see all of this stuff behind it. You know, God's light is different. It isn't just for show. It actually reveals. And when that light is the Messiah himself, Jesus the Christ, the faithfulness of God is especially seen in all of its glory. And here in this account of this faithful man, Simeon, righteous and devout, waiting for Israel's comfort and deliverance, um, who, who walked with the Lord and the Spirit of God was upon him. Here in the words that he says, remarkable words that he says to Mary and to Joseph, We see the truth here, that the light of the Messiah reveals God's faithfulness. And let's look at how this faithfulness unfolds in Simeon's mind and and mouth here. Uh, Beginning in verses uh, 29 to 32, the focus is upon God's promises. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. The first promise there of encouraging God's people in verse 29, Simeon's thinking back to verse 26 uh, or to the to the reality that is expressed in verse 26 that he had been, um, been told by the Lord, by the Spirit of God, that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And when Jesus comes in, Simeon goes, this is the Messiah. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. How many families and children potentially could have been milling around in the courts of the temple that day? Now, I know we see in a lot of of medieval artwork, you know, that the Holy Family has halos of glory coming out of their heads, but that's an artist's conception and that's not reality. There was, no, there was no neon sign over going, hey, Simeon, here he is. He was a baby in arms. In the arms of a young mother and a carpenter father. No fanfare, no uh, you know, flash, no noise, no anything. So why would Simeon see this child and see this couple and say, this is the one? And the things that he says here are pretty remarkable. He acknowledges that God is is faithful to his promises to encourage his people And certainly he is, Lord, now I can depart in peace, just as you've said, according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. The only way that he could know that that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, was simply by the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in his heart and mind to enlighten him to say, essentially, this is the one. And he doesn't hesitate. Presumably, this promise had been made some time before, perhaps years before. We're not told. I want you to think about this for a second. How how remarkable is it that Simeon, having been waiting for Israel's comfort, been waiting for this day, been wondering, was it ever going to happen? Where and where and how and how would I know? When the time comes, he does not hesitate for a moment. He doesn't pull a Gideon and go, well, Lord, maybe this is the one, maybe this is not, maybe I'll put a fleece out. Uh, Can you give me some other sign, Lord? Uh, Maybe uh, somebody else come along? No, he responds. it, it, it It tells you that he walks with the Lord on a daily basis. He knew the Lord's voice when he heard it. And he responded immediately. He was encouraged because he knew God was faithful. And, and notice, though, that he's not, he's not stingy or selfish with this. He doesn't go, yeah, now, hey, I've seen the Messiah. Okay, we're going to kind of keep this on the down low. He acknowledges that God's promises are not just about him. How often we do theology and we do... Uh, just our, walk through our Christian life as if, as if God is just sitting up there waiting only to minister to us. But what we have here is, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. An interesting statement in the temple courts there, which uh, would be for Jews and for proselytes. But it suggests something that we've mentioned even through our study of the book of Hosea in recent weeks about, about how Israel and Jerusalem and the temple courts were not just about them. But the, the, the good news of the Lord's deliverance was to be spread through them to the entire world. And certainly there would be those from all over the world there in the temple courts. This promise is for salvation of all people. And it's interesting that he doesn't say, my eyes have seen the one who is going to bring about your salvation. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Why does he say that? Well, I mean, obviously he is looking at the one who is going to bring it about. But it should tell us something about the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the Messiah himself in general. That whole concept of the Messiah is not just the works that he would do. This is true in the Old Testament, as well as what we see fulfilled in Christ in the New. It's not just about what he would do, it's about who he is. And that is significant. It ties in with what Jesus is going to be saying as he goes through his earthly ministry about his connection with the Father. When you look upon, when Simeon looked upon Christ... What he was looking uh, at was everything that that has to do with salvation embodied in that child who would grow up to be Jesus the Christ, uh, the one who would declare himself to be one with the Father. He is salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. And he is a light to the Gentiles. Um, first part of 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Uh, this uh, kind of harkens back a little bit. If you, your mind might go to Isaiah chapter 9, if it does, you're in good company. Mine went there too. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them, a light has shined. Christ came not to be hidden, but to be revealed and be the revealer of God to the entire world, to the Gentiles, um, not just the Jews. But he also is the glory for the glory of your people Israel in in uh, in this verse, we see something about the relationship between um, Christ and Israel, where Paul would talk about Israel having a a special relationship um, to the Lord himself because of their covenant uh, because of that covenant relationship in terms of they are the ones that have the prophets, they are the ones to whom the ordinance has been given those they are the ones to whom the, the sacrifices have been given and all those pictures that pointed forward to the Messiah and, and laid the groundwork for, for the fuller continuing revelation of God's truth um, as, as time went on. But it starts with, with Israel and indeed um, the, the Messiah would be of the house uh, of David and would sit on David's throne for eternity. So that connection is very strong. So Simeon's looking at this baby of a carpenter and his wife, as all, to all appearances, that's what it was. And he was saying essentially, here's the king, the one in whom all God's promises to Israel are going to be fulfilled. It's a remarkable statement. But God is faithful to his promises. He is the source of of this light that is for the revelation of his truth. Um, God is faithful to his revelation. We see that in verses 33 through 35. As you can imagine, put yourself in their place, some guy walks up to you and goes, here's the Messiah, basically. Uh, Mary, and Mary and Joseph, no doubt, uh, as well, would have pondered on the things the angel said. The uh, the angels um, would subsequently come, and the shepherds, and all the things that would come, and the wise men, and uh, a couple of years later, all those kinds of things that were were happening. And Mary hid those things in her heart. Right, pondered on them. So this would be another thing you tuck away. But they marvelled at what was being said here. Remember, Mary, you know, we talked about Christmas Eve. For those of you that were here, Mary was no theological slouch. Uh, she, To hear these things, these weren't just flowery words that she was listening to in her ear, hearing. She knew that the implications were of these things. And they marveled at what was said. And Simeon blessed them and says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and your own heart will be pierced as well, he says. Let's think about this. The Lord is going to reveal his Messiah. He has done so, but now, he hasn't just sent the message out into the world and let it go wherever it wants to go. There's a plan, and God is faithful to that plan. He's faithful to his revelation. First of all, he reveals his plan of justice that will be um, uh, embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. The child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. Jesus would say later on in Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish that it were already kindled, he said but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather the vision. The time of, of Jesus' earthly ministry especially was not a time of, of bringing peace, but he was basically the, I'm going to use a very down-to-earth analogy. He's essentially the boulder thrown in the pond. That that the Lord, the Father, throws into the pond to make a splash, to make waves, to to basically um, throw down the gauntlet and said, "says This world is mine. These people are mine, and I am here to claim them through my Son." Do you remember Jesus' own parable when he talked about the the vineyard with the rebellious uh, vine dressers and the the master of that vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, would send this servant and that servant and the other, and uh, those servants would be uh, abused and cast out and beaten and killed. And then finally, the master says, I'll send my son. They'll listen to him. He goes, and they kill him, thinking that they will get the vineyard as a result. Jesus didn't come initially to restore all things. He said, He came to set in place the means, the pattern, and revealing who that restoration would come about through. And that would be himself. So in Christ, his justice is revealed. He's the one who is the stone that is cut out without hands that would come and uh, uh, land in the midst of a wicked world and and be the foundation for his his house, his body. So justice, some are going to rise, some are going to fall. He's the watershed, the crux, whatever word you want to use. The crossroads. You either love Christ or you reject him. You don't play games with him. If you're going to reject him, just say so, be honest, and get on with it. But dear friends, honor the Christ that God has sent. God has revealed he's faithful to that. He's faithful to his plan. He's faithful to his Messiah. And he will accomplish everything for which he sent his word out. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. How you relate to Christ, Simeon is saying, will determine whether you are, are fallen, or whether you rise. It really is the crux or the crossroads of redemption. He is appointed as a sign that is opposed. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. How did it go for him? At first, things went seemed to be kind of off to a great start. He's healing people, he's providing meals, he's doing other things like this, and everybody's wanting to get on the gravy train, and this sounds really great. But once he starts talking about the cost of discipleship and what it means to actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to actually believe in the Messiah, and to actually live according to uh, what God says is required of those who love him, many walked away. If you've been here any time at all, or Perhaps in other churches as well. When we come to the Lord's table, we talk about the body and blood of Christ and partaking of the body and blood of Christ. We talk about partaking of that and taking it in. Uh, These are tokens, they're signs. But when Jesus talked about his body and blood and the necessity of consuming his body and blood, and he was speaking spiritually, but people heard this and were like, oh, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? We're we're not going to do this anymore. Um, I, I, I've i never really settled well with the idea that these people were just going, he wants us to be cannibals, which would be the height of idiocy uh, for anybody to think that. I think they knew that he was talking about um, suffering and identifying with a Messiah who was not going to be the the falsely glorious ideal that they had in their minds what the Messiah was going to be. They didn't want blood and gore, they didn't want sacrifice, they wanted ascendancy, they wanted rule over Rome, they wanted you know their own their own power. They wanted their own way to go. And Jesus said, Nope, it's about sacrifice. And it's a hard thing to hear. But Jesus is the one who said to them, uh, for which the the uh, leaders wanted to stone him, in John chapter 8 um, and elsewhere, he declared himself to be, before Abraham was, I am. I am the one who is, uh, and that is basically the way of saying, I am Yahweh. I am the one who, Uh, always is, always was, always will be. I am one with the Father. And some believed and some did not. See that throughout the Gospels a lot. Some believed, some did not. Some responded favorably, others rejected. When In in Luke chapter 4, a couple chapters uh, after where we're reading now here, um, he's preaching in Nazareth. From the Isaiah scroll, he's in the synagogue there. He's describing the Lord's servant who will preach and heal and set free all who believe on him. And he says, today this hearing is fulfilled in your ears. And everybody's marveling going, wow, this is a carpenter's son. Where did he learn to talk like this? And they're, they're all kind of wrapped up in that. But then he goes on and says, Um, let me let me tell you about how uh, you know in the days of Elijah and uh, you know the Lord did not send the gospel, did not send the good news and deliverance to Israel, but sent it to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile. And as soon as they heard talk about the Gentiles and that and, and that uh, God would dare love somebody else besides them, they wanted to pitch him over a cliff and stone him because they it. Did not go with their idea of what the Messiah should be, their concept of justice and redemption was very self, inward focused self focused and and uh, you're either going to believe that Christ is who he said he is or you're not and suffer so for the consequences then of that uh, in mark chapter six. Um, And speaking about wisdom and power that's shown to people who believe, Jesus points out, as he's experiencing opposition, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And there, to those to whom he's revealed, uh, they rejected him. John chapter 1 says basically the same thing, his own did not receive him. And in Luke chapter 20, he declares himself to be, and by quoting the Old Testament, the stone which the builders rejected. Um, God has made the foundation, the cornerstone of his kingdom, and that is Jesus Christ. God is going to be, Simeon knows that God will be faithful to his revelation and that even when the sign is opposed, even with personal hurt to Mary uh, and Joseph, um, nonetheless, God's plan will be accomplished because he is going to reveal uh, the the true thoughts of men. And then we see that there at the end of verse 35. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, we read this. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. And others wanted to earn it. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. This ties right in with what um, is from... This prophetic word uh, is now declared by Simeon, and then Paul is going to um, draw it in here as well. Jesus is a rock of offense, but whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You know, it's interesting, is it not? In the light, you should be able to see where you're going. But Jesus is called that stone um, of offense, the stone of stumbling, which means that somebody's walking around in darkness to trip over him. If your eyes are opened in the light by his grace, you won't stumble over him, but you, you will not be put to shame. Your faith will not be empty. I mean, if... If we have the light, we won't stumble. And if light is here, which Christ has been given, and is the light of light that has been given to men, well then, if we don't see that, we must have our eyes closed. So let's open our eyes by His grace and look upon the light that has been given, because the light is on. The light is on. When you're introduced to the Savior of all men, clothed in the flesh of weak humanity, what is your response? Will your sinful eyes be blinded by the brilliance of the light, causing you to be offended, causing you to close your eyes? No, I don't want to see it. I want to walk my own way. Or will you see him for what he truly is? the promise of the ages, the revealer of God's faithfulness, your Redeemer. Will you, by God's grace, open your eyes and finally, truly see so that you, like those that we've already heard of in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy of those who would be redeemed by the Messiah, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light Open your eyes by God's grace and see the light. The light is on. And those who walk according to that light will never be ashamed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. For these simple words, and yet not so simple, uh, profound words of Simeon, your servant, there in the temple so long ago. We thank you that you have turned the light on. That you have given us a Savior, Christ the Lord. We thank you that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that he is light of lights. That in him there is no darkness at all. Lord, enable us by your grace to open our eyes. And to see him. Lord, we know that when we are in him, we, in our fallen condition, we, we feel the need to squint, to shield our face. But we thank you that you've, you've shown your light to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the promise that when we are glorified for eternity... We will be perfected and be able to look upon him with joy and without squinting, for when we uh, shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Lord, help us, even now, to begin to see and to trust. Grant us faith uh, in him. Grant us, Father, repentance to turn from our sins to turn from our darkness and walk in the light that you give us in your Messiah, our Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Uh, Let's uh, take our hymns, hymnals once again, and we'll turn to 317. What child is this? 317. Standing, please, as you're able.